Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. If you're a longtime fan of Tennis Warehouse, then today's guest needs no introduction. As some might say, he is the greatest playtester of all time. <laughs> Two years ago, he left Tennis Warehouse to pursue other endeavors. And without giving too much away, he is now a national women's coach with the USTA. We're so excited to catch up today with Andy Gerst. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. I know how much heart and soul you put into your video intros and stuff. So I was a little nervous about <laughs> mine, but... Uh, no, happy, happy to join. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Yeah, I didn't want to give up too much of the information of where you've been <laughs> and I wanted you to tell that story. So maybe you can take it from there. What have you been up to since you left Tennis Warehouse? And I'd also like you to tell the story of your last day at Tennis Warehouse. Oh my gosh, yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, I, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, I left a couple years ago uh, from, from Tennis Warehouse on July 9th, I think it was. Um, <laughs> And just had an incredible five years there. Uh, I always tell people it was a tennis nerd's dream job, getting to try equipment and talk about it with all you guys in the office every day. And we've got such a great group of people there and the company is awesome. And San Luis Obispo, I always say, is a little slice of heaven. So um, it was an absolute it was an absolute uh, treat. Um, but I, I kind of always thought I wanted to coach, uh, coach tennis growing up. And I had a um, and I had an opportunity to, to kind of get back into the coaching world. And, um, I traveled for a few weeks. We had an affiliation with Bethany Maddox Sands and, uh, got to travel with her earlier in, uh, 2017. Is that right? Two years. Yeah. 2017. And, uh, had the opportunity to travel with her full time for the rest of 2017. If I was, if I was going to leave tennis warehouse. And so I decided that I would join up with her after Wimbledon that year and travel with her for the rest of the year. And, uh, and on my last day of work, I'm watching her play. I think it was, I might mess this up, but I think it was Serana Cristea. I'm not positive. Uh, I could be wrong. I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah. I don't know. But I remember watching, um, you know, she's up, she's up a set in 6-5 serving. And I'm watching it at home. And I'm trying to put off going to work as long as I can to see her close out the match. Unfortunately, she loses her serve, loses the breaker. And I hop in the car to drive to work. And... Uh, I get a text five minutes later from uh, one of the parents of the one of the kids that I was coaching there in town and they said oh my gosh did you see what happened and I said oh I know I she should have she should have held and closed out the match I can't believe she's in a third set and she goes you're not watching are you and I said what and she sends me a picture of the tv and there's like all these people out on the court and that was literally the day that that Bethany blew out her knee at Wimbledon and had that unbelievable injury. And so this is on my way into work and I pull into the office and I open the door and you guys all have it up on the TV in our office and just turn and stare at me. And uh, you guys were, you know, so kind as to do like a little potluck and everything. And uh, so I remember walking in the door and the first thing Chris said to me was, well, you can you can have your job back if you want. And, uh, um but uh, at that point, I kind of just figured I'd roll the dice and see what kind of opportunities that the coaching world would lend me. And so 
Um, that was a pretty stressful few days and it, uh, it kind of worked out. I was talking, I got to meet Lucy Safarova, her doubles partner earlier in the year when I was traveling with her. And, um, we had kind of talked a couple months prior that I was going to travel with both of them for the summer. And so kind of my plan a was, uh, you know, I was going to give Lucy like a week because I knew she was reeling and she was really upset about the injury too. Mm-hmm. Cause her and Bethany were, were besties or yeah. our besties. And, uh, Fortunately enough, uh, before I even reached out to her, she she texted me and said, hey, I don't know what you're planning on now, but would you still want to travel with me? I'm between coaches and kind of looking for someone to travel with this summer. And um, so got super lucky there and got to travel with Lucy for the summer and just got some unbelievable experience. And I really think that that experience and that learning process kind of springboarded everything else that that came. Um, I traveled with her that summer and then I got... Uh, an opportunity to go back to the club that I grew up at, at the Jack Kramer Club and work with Kip Brady, who we both know. Um, He was the coach that started me when I was four years old and coached me all growing up. And so he has a, he's got a junior program going at the Jack Kramer Club. I had an opportunity to go in there and uh, help him develop some juniors and kind of base out of there. And uh, one of our one of our top juniors in that program is his son, um, and he wanted me to kind of step in and help coach his son, which was a pretty cool, full circle deal. Yeah. Um, and so that was a that was an awesome experience, and we had a we had a great group of kids there. I just had so much fun working with. And then during that time, a few months later, I got the opportunity to meet uh, Danielle Lau, who um, she's now inside the top two hundred in the world, and. She was looking for someone to coach her and travel with her and um, decided to do that. So I was kind of managing those two things, working at the junior program at the at the Kramer Club and traveling with Danielle. Um, long story short, kind of got to know Kathy Rinaldi, um, who's the head of women's tennis now for the USTA. Uh, met her when I was traveling with Bethany before and then got to get to know her a little bit more when I was with Danielle. And she reached out to me um, this past March and said, hey, you know, I got a promotion to the head of women's tennis. She was kind of the head of, she was a national coach and the head of what they call Team USA, which I can get into a little bit later if you want. And um, she said, you know, I got promoted and I need someone to fill my old job and you're the person that I want to do it. And uh, yeah, I mean, super flattered and uh, very humbled and it's it's been an unbelievable opportunity. And so now I can't believe this, but it's been almost four months now since I took that position and it's been a whirlwind, but it, it's been uh, it's been an amazing experience. So I said I was going to keep that story short. I'm sorry, <laughs> Hopefully everyone hasn't fallen no. asleep yet. But. That's awesome. <laughs> and we are so proud of you. And also, yeah. I just think it's so cool. Full circle. I remember your last day. We were all just kind of like, oh, my gosh, what is going to happen? And then I know there were some rocks in the road along the way. But then to see you at the U.S. Open, you were working with one of our sponsor players, Christian, and they flashed to the stands. And there you are. And everyone. It's like, hey, it's Andy. And it's just really cool to see kind of exactly what you were out to do, set out to do is what you're doing. And very proud of you, oh, Andy. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, this new position is, uh, you know, I've been kind of telling people it really is a dream job. It's been so much fun getting to work with all the different players. And uh, and we just have an unbelievable um, group of coaches too that I've learned a ton from I mean just some of the best in the business and everyone's striving to be the best coach that they can be and 
do the best we can for the for the players. So it's it's been an unbelievable experience. I feel really fortunate to be doing it. That's awesome. Yeah. Let's go from there. What exactly is the position? What does a day to day look like for you? What does the role entail? Yeah. So um, so it's a national coach uh, role for the USTA. Um, I'm on our on our pro women's side, and we have what we call Team USA. Is basically um, you know all the players that end up being kind of right outside the top 75 or 100. Mm-hmm. Basically, all of them that are that don't have established private teams that they're already traveling with. And my position is a little bit unique because all of our other national coaches are usually assigned one or two players. They'll help out as much as they can with the other mm-hmm. players, but. Um, they're kind of assigned more of a traditional coaching role. So they're assigned one or two players. That's their full-time gig. They're scheduling. They're, you know, with them all the time. Um, mine's a much more supplemental coaching role. So I kind of look after everyone else, basically. Anyone okay. that's not being taken care of uh, full-time by the USTA or full-time by their own private team. Um, so I get to work with the, the rest of the bunch, which has been a, <laughs> which has been really cool. And uh, it took a little while to adjust because it's a really different type of position that as a coach, I don't think anyone's really used to. But uh, my role with all the different players are are really unique and different. So, you know, take someone like Christy. Um, she actually works primarily with uh, another one of our national coaches, Jay Devachetti out of New York, where she's from. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is responsible for our uh, junior boys. And so he when he started working with her to start the year, he said, hey, you know, I can I can work with you, but I can't travel at all. So she she you know, she had a really solid found, you know, home base. Yeah. But she didn't have any help on the road. And so when I took this job and we sat down and asked how I could help her, that's basically what she told me is, hey, I need on the road support. I need you communicating with Jay all the time, making sure we're all on the same page and just kind of, you know, see it with see it with another set of eyes. But also let's all be on the same page working together. And so nice. that's kind of my role with her. Um, Danielle Lau, who I had been with before, mm-hmm. she also kind of falls under my umbrella, which that was important to me when I took this position. Yeah. Um, you know, her I'm a little bit more hands on with because I'm one of her. You know, she has another private coach she's been working with since she was a kid. So. Um, but I'm with her a little bit more on the home base side. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them have private coaches that can travel some weeks, but not others. Some, you know, it's just so it's it really depends player to player. Um, but I'm kind of just trying to look after everybody. And so day to day, week to week, it's always different, which is something nice. that I've really enjoyed. That's because, cool, yeah. yeah. So one week, uh, you know, I'll be with three players at one tournament. And then the next week I'll go and I'll be with another two that are totally different. And so you know, I get to take the things that I learned from that, that week prior and apply them to new players. And so day to day, week to week, it's, it's really different, which is, which is something I've really enjoyed. So yeah, I guess that's kind of the, kind of the position, a little hard to describe. I didn't really get it until I got into it, but it's been a blast. (laughs) I've, I've really enjoyed it. And what's been the most challenging part for you transitioning into this new role? The most challenging part I think has been the more supplemental role. You know, I think as coaches, we love, we get invested in our player and we want to ride the highs and the lows with mm-hmm. that player and um, kind of jumping around. I know some of the other coaches have struggled in this type of role because you want to just fully invest in that one relationship. And, you know, really, that I mean, that is really the best way to make the most powerful impact. Um, so it took a, took a little bit of an adjustment. It actually took a conversation with Christy. Um, she said something to me and, you know, I was kind of struggling with it and you know, she kind of just said, Hey, you know, you got to be you in this role. And, 
instead of trying to be Kathy and, you know, try to do what she does, which she did an amazing job in this role. Um, you know, I just tried to be myself. And if I'm only with that player for one week and then I don't see him for another two months, I'm still going to invest all of right. myself in that one week and develop that relationship as best as I can. And that way, when I come back to that player six, eight weeks down the road, we can just start right up from what we've built and stuff. So I think that's been the biggest adjustment and challenge is not being with my player all the time, having to mm-hmm. kind of jump around and stuff like that. And my attention is spread a little bit thin, but I'm adjusting and kind of figuring out the best way to, to do it and kind of embracing the fact that I can affect many more players than um, than maybe just one or two, which has been yeah. cool. Very cool. Now, I had a question about chemistry. We know that chemistry can be really important between coaches. And obviously, you already had an established relationship with someone like Danielle. But how do you deal with someone that you don't have that natural chemistry with right off the bat and they're using you as their coach and trusting you? Yeah, I mean, that's been part of the biggest challenge is that uh, they're not hiring me. You know, I'm kind of coming in and say, hey, I'm helping you now. Yeah. um, So, you know, I try to just let them know, look, I'm I'm here to help. You know, if you don't want my help, fine. You know, if you <laughs> yeah. do, tell me how I can help you. Right. Um, usually the first thing I try to start off with with a player is we sit down and I just say, hey, you tell me, you know, as simply as you can. How do you how do you feel? What are you doing when you're playing your best tennis? And then yeah. I just try to facilitate that as best as I can. And then I kind of feel like once I get to see them compete a little bit, that's when I can start to form my own kind of vision as far as things that I want to work on with them. But I try to be very un- non-threatening and just be very supplemental and just say, hey, I'm, I'm here to help you. Yeah. And I'm not going to try to come in and take over. And um, and I think that helps form the trust, which I think is the biggest thing is the players know for that sure. I'm there for them. I'm not I don't have my own agenda or whatever, and I want to best serve them. And so that's kind of how I approach it. And so far, it's been it's been positive. I mean, all the players have been pretty receptive and more receptive than I thought, to be honest. So it's <laughs> nice. uh, yeah, it's been really, really cool. And Christy was one of the first ones that I got to work with. And, you know, I got really lucky with you know, her awesome. instant success. Yeah, well, yeah, her <laughs> as a person, but then also kind of her success from right mm-hmm. you know we started working together the week before Wimbledon and then she went ahead and qualified at Wimbledon and so I think the other players saw that mm-hmm. and uh, not that I you know played a huge role in it but at least they said well hey this guy can you know maybe help me and they've been they've been pretty receptive to it so I've had players coming up to me saying oh you know I'd like to do a training week with you or hey come you know can you check out my match or whatever and so it's been I've been really fortunate with that. That's awesome. I was going to ask what the most rewarding part of it's been so far. Oh, man. Well, yeah, I mean, any uh, I think as a coach, anytime you see your player grow and succeed, um, I mean, it, it, it just so happened that I've gotten to spend the most time with Christy this summer um, <laughs> and getting to, you know, getting to see her success has been unbelievable. But even more so getting to hear her talk about it mm-hmm. and what it's meant to her as a as a person. And I think that's something I try to, you know, a big part of, you know, my coaching philosophy, I guess, is it's more than the tennis. It's about growing as people. And I think if we develop as people, then we're going to. that's going to help us get the most out of our games. And so to hear her, you know, 
say stuff that she's been able to, you know, overcome things that she never thought she would be able to. Or, you know, Danielle said something to me early on that said, hey, the stuff we're working on, this is stuff that goes beyond the court. This is going to help me for years after. That stuff really means a lot because I think that's priority number one. And and tennis is such an awesome vehicle because uh, for personal growth, because we're totally exposed out there. It's one on one. You know, our biggest fears are right there out in front of us. There's nowhere to run or hide. And, um, you know, it's just such an awesome vehicle for personal growth. And and so to hear the players, you know, when they when when they get something out of, you know, the things that we're working on and it helps them both on and off the court, that's that's pretty special, pretty cool and kind of reminds me why why I do it, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. I was going to ask you too. You kind of mentioned Kip Brady already, and we both know him. He's an awesome coach. But who inspires you? It can be a current coach. It could be a tennis coach. It could be someone out of tennis. Um, who's your biggest inspiration? And get into that. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, we grew up with Kip and going to their Brady tennis camps and uh, and down in Santa Barbara. And what was instilled really early on, which I think it was just being really, you know, really fortunate getting to be around him. And then all the other coaches I got to be around was how, how much of it, of it is family, you know, Kip has yeah. been family to me my yeah. whole life. And yeah. then I had another coach in high school, Paulo uh, Alipio, who is, you know, family to me. Um, and, you, you know, coaching is a relationship business. It's building relationships. And so I think just, having that early on is like, Hey, it's more than the tennis. It's really about forming that bond. And the effect that Kip and Paulo had on me as a kid Mm -hmm. is like, if I could have that just 10% of that for another kid or another (laughs) player, like that's, that's so special. And then I kind of look ahead too, in terms of how I want to shape my career and how I want to go about things. And, um, you know, one guy who's been a massive mentor for me, both on and off the court, is there in St. Louis Obispo, Hugh Bream. Oh, uh, yeah. Unbelievable coach and, you know, so respected by all his players. He was the head women's coach at Cal Poly, and I got to work for him as his assistant. So mm-hmm. um, how he goes about his business and basically his his life, how he's gone about his, his life and his priorities in life are um, – you know, pretty, uh, inspirational to me. And then also one guy that I've gotten to know his son really well. Um, and then I got to have him on my podcast towards the end there. Uh, Greg Patton oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> is unbelievable. Just his positivity, his enthusiasm and the way he sees the game. Like that's how I want to coach. And that kind of, that cool. conversation with him and Hugh is cut from the same cloth. I think, yeah. um, Greg actually hired Hugh to help him with the junior Davis cup team back in the eighties, which is kind of nice. cool. Um, but just the way that those guys go about it kind of reaffirms the way that I want to go about it. Just, uh, you know, relentless positivity. I feel like you can be constructive and never have to be negative. You can always frame it in a positive light. You can always build up your player, um, coach with love and, and enthusiasm. And, uh, so those guys are, are pretty important to me. Nice. That's, that's great. Let's talk about, dealing with a player that is struggling, you know, maybe they've been around for a while. They just can't seem to find the fun in the game anymore. What would you say to someone that's just kind of not really sure if they want to continue their career or maybe, you know, they just don't know how to win anymore. What would you say? 
Yeah, I think that's um, it's tricky. I think when I took this job, they kind of told me that, look, there's the players that you're going to work with are going to fall into some camps. Some are really on an upward trajectory, maybe a junior mm-hmm. or a college player that's transitioning onto the tour. And we need to get them from 300 to 100. Um, but maybe some of those players have just been hovering, kind of stagnant for a while. Or maybe some of them have been up at the top and have dropped down. We need to kind of find the secret sauce to get them back. Um I, I do think it's individual. I think you really got to sit down and kind of figure it out with each player. I mean, if we're talking for a professional um, mm-hmm. and trying to get back up into that, you know, top 100 zone, I mean, just kind of getting everything organized. I think you see um, the private teams that these really successful players put around them and there's stability there. There's comfort there. And that's really important. And so, you know, I see some players maybe slip back because they don't have a home base that they're, um, you know, that that's a good environment for them to be in. Maybe the scheduling's a little bit off. Maybe they're, um, they've been dealing with an injury and it's kind of thrown off their routines and stuff. So I really just try to help them get organized uh, in their game. You know, going back to that original question, hey, give me two or three areas of focus that you have when you're playing your best tennis, you know, and, and try to hone in on that. Um, hone in on the things that make them great. And I think that can yeah. be for any level is like, just get back to the things that you do well. And then put the best kind of environment and influences around you, you know, super positive people, a nice, you know, home to come back to, um, you know, trust in the people around you, get healthy, kind of check all those boxes. And then, you know, if all that stuff is in order, generally, that'll help you kind of get an initial push. And then once all that's in order, now let's get to work on kind of your game and see the different things that you can develop. But I think a lot of times, maybe if players are struggling a little bit, obviously something's, that means they've done well before maybe. Mm-hmm. And so something's yeah. there to build on, yeah. but they're maybe a little bit lost or the vision's a little bit cloudy. So just try to help them get some clarity, get some focus and uh, kind of get back to what makes them what makes them great. Nice. And what about someone, let's talk junior players transitioning into college. What advice would you give since it is kind of the beginning of school season, everyone's getting back into their teams, falls falls kind of the off season for tennis, but it's a chance for you to kind of make a stance on your team roster and like kind of prove yourselves and individuals in the fall. Um, What would you recommend to those players transitioning back into a college team? Yeah. Um, first of all, what an exciting time, right? I mean, like, <laughs> right? I, you, I love college tennis. I think it's such a great format and, um, yeah, it's just such a neat experience. So I think it, it embrace that, you know, if a junior player is going right into college, there's going to be a ton going on, you know? Mm-hmm. So just try to enjoy it, settle in, know there's going to be some challenges and that's okay. You're a freshman, right? So you're going to take your <laughs> freshman lumps, which is okay, but know that the, the struggle and the, you know, the maybe some losses that you're going to take are all part of the growing process. And I think you're going to get exposed as a player probably more than you have been in years in the previous few years. And to just embrace that process and learn from it and um, try to look at it as, as objectively as possible and say, you know, OK, hey, I'm playing at a higher level, playing some older guys, older girls. And these are the things that are getting exposed a little bit. Um, let's, you know, let's go back and work on them instead of getting scared about it and you know, be getting self-conscious about it. And then also, again, going back to the things that make you great. Hey, these are the things I do well. I'm going to keep kind of doubling down on that and keep developing. But, uh, you know, it's super cliche and we use it all the time, but I really love just, you know, trust the process, right? Going along with it totally. is, is <laughs> like, just, just keep plugging away, keep listening to the 
to, to your coaches and keep working hard at your game and keep your head up and you'll do fine. <laughs> keep on keeping on keep on keeping on exactly exactly awesome and one more question about transitioning between one one place to another it seems like we're seeing so much success right now from players that played college tennis and now they're transitioning to the pro circuit and they're doing pretty well and we've talked to other players on the podcast they have a bit of a team already built into the tour because their teammates are also doing well so how do you feel that transition between college tennis to the pros is going right now especially for the American players. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. It's something that we talk about a lot in the USDA, um, mm-hmm. you know, going to college versus just going straight from straight as a kid. I think that college time, um, you know, a lot of those players would tell you that that personal development for them is invaluable. They grow yeah. as people, they become independent. Um, you know, if they aren't on kind of a professional training schedule already, it really teaches them how to be regimented and you know, learn the time management and all that stuff. Some players are already training like pros as kids and that's a mm-hmm. different story. But, um, you know, I think it teaches them a lot about structure and discipline and um, and kind of how to go about go about the business. Um, and so I think you're getting these developed adults out of college and they're a little bit more mature and ready to take on the tour. They know a little bit more as far as like what it's going to entail mm-hmm. and they're in a place maturity wise to be able to handle the ups and downs of, of going on the pro tour. Um, but with that said, it's also totally different and there's a big learning curve with that. And, um, you know, the fitness level and learning how to lose, you know, a lot of the top players that are going onto the tour are winning a lot of matches in college totally. and on the tour, you know, you can be having a great year with a 500 record. So learning how to lose <laughs> is really important. And, you know, going back to kind of my previous point, it's like you got to take those losses in stride a little bit and learn from them and know it's part of the business and just keep growing and use it as fuel for the fire. Um, So I think just kind of really getting back to, you know, becoming a student of the game and working at your craft and keep on keeping on trusting the process, (laughs) you know, but, but I do, I I, I do think that that time in college, you know, unless they're, you know, unless you're an Anna Samova or a Coco Goff and you're ready, you know, I mean, they're ready to go right, right away. But outside of that, I mean, the personal growth that you get from college, the experience, um, you know, the education, you know, a lot of times these degrees that these people can get, not going to play tennis your whole life. So something to fall back on, uh, like a like a really really good degree is really important, and I think it's a I think it's a great time for him. Nice. Yeah. Well, let's transition a little away from the USTA and let's talk <laughs> some playtesting stuff. Yes, oh, I uh, miss it. <laughs> <laughs> we just launched a ton of new rackets, and people want to know if you've tried any of the new blades or the new Yonex rackets or the new Gravity from Head. Oh. Have you been able to test any new gear lately? I hate to admit that I am still stuck on my DR98. I can't switch. I haven't tried anything else. Mm -hmm. I'm playing with the same exact setup that I left Tennis Warehouse with. Uh, My (laughs) DR98, which I 
scrap together like a few more of them when they were discontinued for oh, a no. year and so like <laughs> I got like the last of the last ones and now I know I need to switch so I should probably throw this back at you Michelle and see yeah. what are some of your favorites because <laughs> uh, I might want to go to a 100 square inch because I'm oh, not getting any no. younger okay. um, but we'll see but yeah I haven't tried any of them and I would love to know uh, what are some of your favorites Michelle and what would you recommend for a <laughs> for a player that likes a traditional more of a traditional to modern players racket that usually plays with a 98 square inch frame slightly flexy but they you want like to transition to this, yeah they want a to transition into something that's a 100 square inch but i still want to have that more traditional feel what would you wow. recommend wow i mean someone on youtube <laughs> said if andy was on this play test he would have switched so it sounds like <laughs> Which we need one was to, this? this is the head gravity pro oh, so it sounds wow. like we might have to send some demos your okay. way but <laughs> you will also want to try i know you used to like the the blades a lot the mm-hmm. new blade the 98 18 by 20 i'm a fan it's got okay. a hefty swing weight new feel no countervail okay so that's that's looking good the prince phantoms those yes. are gonna be right up your alley a nice flexible traditional feel there's a hundred square inch available Ooh, okay okay yeah, yeah, how about my yonex frames any, so any they just, yeah they just updated the yonex v core pros mm-hmm. the, so there's the 97 the stan waranka endorse model the 330 but they introduced a new one, which is not 100 square inches. It's still 97, but it's called the V-Core Pro 97 HD. Mm-hmm. It has more flexible feel, still good stability at impact, good swing weight, and it's 18 by 20. Okay. And it's 315 grams unstrung. Okay. So it's a little less heft than the Waranka model, but still really nice. Good feel. We all loved it. Really performed well. Okay. Well, I need to and do some demos then. I, yeah. I need to... <laughs> the new Technofiber TF40s. Chris just made the switch. Whoa. Okay. I know. Okay. He's going, he keeps jumping all over the place though, because it's definitely a more controlled racket, but there's some nice frames out there right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. I need to, uh, <laughs> you know what I need to do is come up to St. Louis Obispo and try them there. Let's That's do what... it. <laughs> that would be great. And the new strikes, there's the new strikes too, which right. I know Chris, Christian and Danielle both play with strikes. I'm not yeah. sure if Danielle's they're playing to... with the new one. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think you guys sent her a couple of the new ones and she's been playing with that. And I know Christy's going to probably try it in the off season. Yeah. And I know Hannah wants to try it too. So. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> we can transition to that question. How's Hannah? Doing? Hannah's doing awesome. Uh, she is in her second year of law school down here nice. in LA. Um, absolutely crushing it. One of the top in her class. So she's so um, cool. loving what she's doing. She's grinding. She's working super, super hard, but she's really into what she's studying, which is great and getting a ton of really cool opportunities in the industry down here in LA. Nice. Um, so it's been really cool getting to watch her kind of pursue uh, something she's super passionate about and yeah, she's she's doing great and running a lot. And I was just going to say, I always see yeah. her running. Yeah, nice. yeah. We've both kind of taken to the distance running a little bit. Crazy. So Endurance yeah, so athletes. Yeah. <laughs> I think Danielle uh, Lau might have uh, influenced you there. Uh, it sounds like she runs a lot, too. <laughs> yeah, we need to talk about that with the, her and I need to sit down. <laughs> I know Christy does not run. We've Christy had does not run. No, she, she is not into the running. No, Danielle loves the long distance stuff, too. Um, yeah, she's, she's, it's good for the brain. It is good for the brain. It's good for the cardio. It's amazing because she, um, you know, she played now Habino in the first round of qualies at the open this year. 
and she played her last year in Honolulu, and they had an mm-hmm. unbelievable match. Um, Danielle had a great tournament and then lost to Habino 7-5 in the third in Hawaii. And she was like, she, I mean, it was a super physical match, and she was she was tired at the end. She was she was beat, and that is the last time that I have seen her tired on the tennis court because wow. after that she got into her running, and I mean now she's just an absolute animal with the cardio, and she is super super fit with the legs and the and cardiovascularly, and it's helped her it's helped her a ton. Um, wow. Yeah. So she, you know, I think kind of getting, she wants to kind of get back to this building the strength side a little bit too. I think that's the mm-hmm. unique part with tennis is you got to have both. Yeah. Um, but from a cardio aspect, I mean, the, the long distance stuff has, has really, really helped her, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been cool. She's been into that. We, we geek out on that stuff. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, many You've people been running too, right? I've been, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't do the distance too much. Like <laughs> Give me five miles and I'm good. Yeah, that's still a solid distance. Yeah. There you go. There you yeah. go. Yeah. It's a nice challenge, especially I think as tennis players. I don't know about you, but I always grew up as uh, running was the punishment. So that's true. Being that's able to, yeah, being able to just kind of go out and do it for myself or put on a playlist or a podcast and get after it, you feel so nice after. <laughs> yeah. Now I have a question for you because yeah. I know you were always maybe in the Christie camp that you were like, no, I'm not I running. Know. I hate We've running. We've had this conversation. Yeah. yeah. I heard I've had this conversation. So what, and it's, and it's interesting too, because when Hannah and I first met, she was also like, no, I'm never running more than mm-hmm. three miles. And now she yeah. just did her like sixth half marathon. So Crazy. what shifted for you? For the running, like, did you, do you enjoy, you, it sounds like you enjoy it now, right? I do enjoy it. It's definitely, uh, sometimes a battle. I don't ever want to run as a punishment. So if I (laughs) indulge yesterday, I don't want to force myself to run because that relapses what happened to me when I was in junior. It's like, you lost, you ran kind of thing. (laughs) That's brutal. (laughs) But yeah, (laughs) I think once, um, once I moved up here with Running Warehouse next door and we live in such a beautiful area that to take advantage of the trails and just being outside and it became something that I was never good at and it was like something I could overcome. And Very cool. Yeah, even certain days I just need to be reminded that I can do it and it's just kind of one of those things like, yep you are good enough. You got this. You can do this. And it feels like a little accomplishment. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. They're so always fun. That's what I think. Like when people say, yeah, I can't, I never run or whatever. Yeah. It's like, no, you can shift the perspective. You yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And it, as I get older, I, we all know most of us are very competitive and I've kind of shifted my perspective of trying to make my miles under a certain time and to just enjoying the run, getting what I want out of it, setting intentions for each, each yeah. workout, you know? So, yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And it's so good mentally too. I feel like you can totally. just zone out and like, it's almost meditative, you know, you get 100%. into the zone and you, yeah, you feel so good at the end too. Yeah. I would have to agree. Yeah. Okay. I have a few more questions for you. When okay. is your podcast coming back? Oh. Or is it currently on hiatus? It's, it's uh, indefinitely on hiatus for okay. now. Um, God, I mean, what a, what an awesome experience that was, though. I enjoyed that so much. And, yeah. Um, but as, as you are learning, it takes quite a bit of work. Yeah, it's not <laughs> um, easy. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, you know, it was probably taking me, if I totaled up everything, you know, all the work throughout the week, each episode was probably taking a full day to a day and a half 
worth of time to put yeah. out yeah. Um, between the researching and the recording and the editing and the marketing and all that stuff. So, <laughs> um, so as of now, I, I don't quite have the, have the time and uh, energy to put into it. Um, so, but now well, I'm so glad I got a new one that I can listen to. I'm so excited. You're doing such an awesome job, oh, Michelle. Thank I love you. it. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I've gotten to listen to a few of them already and your energy, you got the perfect voice for it, which well, is great. I, and that's I, crazy. Yeah. And you, and you, another thing that I love too, is you have great questions. Thanks. And then you can all, you're, you can also tell when you're listening, when when, when I'm engaged. When, yeah, exactly. When I say okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Ten times. No, no, <laughs> no, no I'm just kidding. I, I got a new favorite tennis podcast, so I'm very Woo-hoo! happy about that. So. <laughs> well, and we'd be happy to have you on continuously. I mean, I, I know I would people, be honored. I would be people honored. love what you have to say, and we love <laughs> listening to you. And you've got yeah. a great new perspective, too, on the game. So door is open. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Anytime. I have a few kind of random fun questions. Mm-hmm. I know you can be a bit of a foodie. So what's your favorite food of the moment? Oh, geez. How did you know we were just talking about that? <laughs> <laughs> Hannah mean... and I are a little overly into the food scene down here in L.A. Um, oh, man, we've been eating a lot of tacos. Um, nice. One of the Yeah, one of the radio stations down here is doing the great tortilla uh, tournament. What? Round two this year, yeah, and our and one of our talk one of our taco places here in town made the uh, the finals for the flour yes. tortilla, which is very exciting. Um, so we're into tacos. Um, I'm always into burgers. I like burgers, but I don't eat them often. But right. I do like my In and Out burger. Tacos probably here in LA tacos. is unbelievable. We yeah. always joke that it's like its own it's its own food group down here because yeah. it's not just like. You've got your authentic Mexican tacos. You've got your like artisan fancy LA tacos. (laughs) You've got your hipster tacos that are like, yeah, there's all kinds of, all kinds of tacos. So I'd have to say tacos. Okay. And then from (laughs) there, do you believe in the perfect 10 out of 10? I had to ask. Uh, should we make this its own episode? Or <laughs> it how might do we have to be. We probably should. <laughs> Just for everyone out there listening, um, as playtesters, we score gear and equipment, and there are often heated debates in the office if something can be a full 10 out of 10. And what's Andy the consensus, does have... <laughs> what's the consensus in the office right now? Is there a 10 out of 10? Anytime I bring it up, everyone just rolls their eyes. And I'm just like, come on, guys. Andy would Andy would talk to me about that. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, let's pose the question to the to the listeners. I would love yeah. I would love uh, to hear everyone else's opinion. OK, yeah. Email uh, us at podcast at tennis warehouse.com and let us know. There you go. Um, oh, man. I don't know how to keep this short, Michelle. You know the answer to this. There's no 10 out of 10. There's the, well, except for, except for, except for oh, there's gosh. one item. The Trader Joe's Trader ice Joe's. cream sandwich is a 10 out of 10 in the category of store-bought frozen desserts. <laughs> make sure, yeah, you got to make sure your categories are well-defined. Yes, because here, I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there and we can drop it. When you, t- when you declare something a 10 out of 10, in my mind, uh, I, I was a really nerdy philosophy major in college. And so this is, in my mind, thinking philosophically, a 10 out of 10 means it has to satisfy two conditions. Number one, it is the best of whatever you are describing is the best that you have experienced. So let's mm-hmm. take the ice cream sandwich. It is the best frozen store-bought dessert that I have tried. 
is the best. But the second condition that it has to satisfy, which this is the this is the key, is nothing could by declaring something a ten. It's the end of the scale. Nothing could possibly be any better right. in the future. Ah. That's then, where you get me. Yeah, then that's where the that's where the debate begins. This is where the debate begins. Yeah. So we can leave it there because we can go on forever. <sighs> but that's there. where when you are emailing in or writing on YouTube or Instagram or whatever, <laughs> consider those two conditions that it has to satisfy. And that is why I believe that there is virtually impossible to have a ten out of ten. And fun fact for anyone that's still listening, <laughs> there are three people in our department when Andy was, well, actually, Sean also, but when Andy was in our department, oh, yeah. there were three people with philosophy degrees. So yes. you can only imagine the Yes, you too. You too. Me too. I was, yeah. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> so back to tennis. <laughs> Who is your favorite player at the moment? Oh, my gosh. Well, I have to go on the men's side because I'm a little biased, I guess, That's on fine. the women's side. <laughs> um, oh, man, I don't know. I mean, don't we all love Roger? I mean, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> but I do think uh, Rafa is certainly making the debate for greatest of all time much oh. more challenging because uh, at 19 now, let's say what happens if, Ra- if, if by the French Open of next year, mm. Rafa has... Let's just say 20 majors. Wow. Who is the greatest of all time? That's an interesting debate. We'll circle now, back. We'll, we'll circle, circle back. back. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, and then as far as an up, well, I think uh, one of your one of your favorites, Feel. Fe- let's see if I can get his name. Felix OJ Aliasim. Yeah, yeah. FAA. FAA, yeah. He's awesome. He's super fun fun to watch. I think he's really good. Yeah. And then I'm always partial to the really good backhand. So I love Karen Hatchinoff out there. He's yeah. playing great. Uh, I love watching Gauffin. Um, I don't know. They're all I, so, They're all good. tennis nerd. Yeah, I love watching all of them. <laughs> Who was your favorite player growing up? Agassi. Nice. Yeah, what about you? Oh, Steffi. Steffi? Okay. Yeah. You and Danielle yeah, yeah. Lau. She's a big I'm, Steffi Graf fan. Oh, who isn't? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, and we've got the power couple right there. Steffi there Legacy. Yeah, wow. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> bold prediction. Something that's going to happen on tour in the next year. Oof. Bold prediction. We're going to see another round of changes to the fifth set rule. Oh. How about okay. that? I think, uh, I don't think people like all four majors having different I'd, rules yeah. for the fifth set tiebreaker or non tiebreaker or whatever. Um, what's the consensus in the office? What's your favorite of the four you think? So you've got the Aussie open does the 10 point breaker at six all. So mm-hmm. first to 10 us open does the regular breaker at six all Wimbledon's 12 all yeah. tiebreaker. And then French open is play it up. I mean, personally, I am old school and I say just play it out. Play it out. So even if <laughs> yeah. we're going 26, yeah. 24 in the fifth. Totally. But okay. I know, I think I would assume, I don't know, the consensus would be that 12 all. <laughs> that's even still crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other set. Just, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like messing with it, though. That's why I'm like, let's yeah. just do it the Traditionalist. way. Traditionalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then speaking of traditionalists, I'll transition to another question. How do you feel about the on-court coaching now that you are a coach <laughs> with the WTA? That is an interesting, uh, that's an interesting. And has one. your opinion changed since you started working with these players? 
Yeah, it's definitely changed. Uh, <laughs> I used to think it was silly. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think what we need to eliminate is the, um, the gray area where, you know, like we saw last year, Serena getting penalized for getting coaching from the mm, box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, and it's like not allowed at the majors, but then it's allowed at all the other tournaments. Yeah, exactly. I think... Um, it's interesting. There's this little strategic element to like, oh, I only have one per set. Um, I personally, being on this side of it, mm-hmm. if you are going to have us called out on court, I do think it's entertaining. As a coach, <laughs> I really don't like being mic'd up. Yeah. Uh, because that's like a personal moment, you know, and there's going to be certain totally. things that like I'm going to want to say that I can't say. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm, if I know it's going to be on TV, you know, um, so that, so that's an interesting thing, but I get it from the entertainment standpoint. So that's kind of an interesting debate there. Um, but I, yeah, I think that the coaching is kind of personal. I like how at the U S open you can, in the qualies, um, mm-hmm. the players can come over and to the box anytime they want and get coaching. That's an interesting really? thing. Interesting. Yeah. So that eliminates the the gray area for the umpire yeah. to say, you know, no coaching or whatnot. Because I do think that, you know, especially like coaches coaching in other languages and, and stuff, you see it a lot, coaching from yeah. the box. Um, as a coach, it's hard not to, like say, you know, have little code words or whatever. And, yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's the biggest thing is like whether the on-court coaching or not, doesn't matter, but I do think we need to find a way to eliminate the gray gray area. And I think that having what they did at the open where the players could walk over and the coaches could say whatever they wanted, that that's interesting. I do think we're probably going to see more, more coaching. On yeah. tour. Maybe that's my bold prediction. Of the- okay. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Yeah. What is your favorite way to just chill out after a long day or a long stressful week? Or how do you like to just get oh, back yeah. to you? Well, I just got done with this six week trip, six week plus, and went straight into the mountains for a camping trip. So <laughs> nice. that's, uh, I that's can't do that. Yeah. I can't do that in the evenings, but, um, <laughs> definitely when I have a few days off, I love to go camping and get into some nature at the end of the day. Um, I don't know, just relax, read a book or watch sports center, um, work out. I, I actually like to work out at the end of my day. For me, that's kind of decompressing, and like separating my work from my, you know, kind of being able to shut it down. So that's yeah. that's what I do enjoy doing at the end. Even if it's like late at night, I love going into an empty gym at seven or eight <laughs> o'clock at night and just grinding out a little workout. And that's kind of a good separation. So that's that's a good way to wind down for me is workout in a book, I guess. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. A couple final questions. Best advice for anyone going through a tough time, whether it's on the court or off the court. Oh, listen to the Vicky Duvall episode with you. I swear. That's my favorite thing. I've listened to it so many times. She's great. Um, She's awesome. Yeah. Listen to your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I do. I'll take it. (laughs) Um, No, it's been so much. Yeah, it's been so fun getting to hear you do this, Michelle. What's been your favorite part about doing the podcast? My favorite part, 100%, is talking to you guys. I love connecting and communicating. And even like the Vicky episode from there, we have become so close. And, you know, a a couple days don't go by where I don't hear from her. I'm not checking in with her. So I've just, uh, yeah. And even like Haley is, I've just really gotten to know these people that I already know are so cool. But 
it's I've built bigger friendships and Beth is always so great and her she was so kind in giving me all the time that she gave for that episode and so it's just been really fun connecting to people and I think at the end of the day that's kind of what this whole life thing is about is the connections and you know as a coach you're connecting with your people on and off the court and it's just such a big part of it. It makes it fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think one really cool thing that maybe you guys don't even realize is that uh, you guys are like really building a team out there and there's like a camaraderie around team Tita out on the, out on the tour. They're all talking about, you know, all the ones that are, that are a part of it are talking about it and proud of it. And so proud of that. Um, that's, no, that makes it really cool. And they're all feeding off of each other, you know, yeah. someone like a Chrissy who's doing well, they're all kind of, it does feel like a little bit of a team. And it so does. that's, that's super cool. And as someone who's trying to you know, build that team family environment around Team USA. Uh, that's something that I think it's been really cool to watch and see. You guys are doing a great job with it. So. Yeah, we love those players. They're all just such great people and great personalities. So I, they they do feel like a little bit of a family. So that's oh, cool. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, any last words or final thoughts? Oh man. I don't know, Michelle. This has been so much fun. I, I hope uh, I can come back. You want me back. And I, lo- I still loved it. Even though I'm not doing my podcast, I still love this format. It's so It's great. so cool, isn't it? I know. Yeah, it's it's uh, just a good way of keeping up and checking in and yeah. talking life, philosophizing. I want philosophizing. That works. Yeah. That, <laughs> that <a> word. <laughs> Making up new words. Yeah. I had all these questions I wanted to ask you, Michelle. How was your first tournament back? Oh my gosh. So Michelle played a doubles tournament. She played the Santa Maria. You played one of Team Tita. I know. And almost beat her. I know. <laughs> that was huge. Um, it was cool. I was so nervous, as my doubles partner, Julie, knew. I could not hit a ball in the first round. We still came out very successful of that match. And then the second round, it was just like the second I stepped on the court, it was like I knew exactly what I was doing. And it felt so nice to be back out there. It was tough, though. I've definitely gotten older and haven't played a tournament. So that tournament (laughs) experience was gone. And we got on the court after 8 p.m. Oh, yeah. My the doubles partner special. Yeah. <laughs> my doubles partner Julie had already played three matches. Oh my so, goodness. it was a long day and I uh, we were so close. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your advice for players that haven't played in a tournament in a long time and they're maybe a little scared or apprehensive to get back out there? Uh, honestly, I made sure that I knew exactly what I wanted out of that weekend. So for me, I put a lot of pressure on myself when I compete and I tried to take all the pressure away. Our number one goal the whole time leading up to that tournament was to have fun. And that was still my number one goal the whole time. Um, That was all I wanted to get out of it. I didn't care if we got demolished. I just wanted to have fun and remember why I like to compete. And, uh, from there, I think my, what was it to have fun, be brave and enjoy the experience. And I think, you you know, as a competitor, sure, the nerves are good. And sometimes it's really hard to figure out how to overcome them. But if you're playing doubles, get a great partner that gets you and knows when you're scared and can talk you off the ledge and (laughs) make you laugh and, and communicate well, like 
there wasn't a single point where we weren't high-fiving and giving each other positive affirmations. And so it was it was just a great experience to get back out there. And we definitely have our eyes on a few tournaments. That's what I was going to say. Are you going to play again in the future? You... you never know. There are some smaller <laughs> ITFs out there locally, not locally, locally, but in California that I know Julie is amped to go get back out on the singles court. So we'll see if I'll tag along and play some dubs. Um, that's awesome. We'll see. Well, yeah. you, there you go. So that's my answer for advice for people that are going yeah. through a tough time. <laughs> Listen to Michelle. Have fun. Be brave and enjoy the experience. Yeah, that's seriously. well put. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people keep up with you and follow you? They always ask, what's Andy doing? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I'm so bad. I like I'm bad with social media and stuff. Yeah. You can follow me on Instagram if you want. Andy Gerst 10 S. Um, but I'm really bad about updating it. So we'll just randomly <laughs> see you on ESPN or the tennis channel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Follow my players, all the yeah. all, pl- follow American tennis, follow American women's tennis. We have so many, um, you know, I always like to say, I mean, that we've got, um, you know, Probably women's tennis is one of the strongest women's sports all across mm-hmm. the world. And American women are one of the s- strongest groups of uh, f- women's tennis players in the world. And so I'm fortunate enough to, you know, thus in turn, as our philosophy degree has taught <laughs> us, I get to work with, uh, you know, one of the one of the best uh, female athlete programs in the world, basically. So we've got so many great young players out there, so many great veterans out there that are doing so well. So follow American tennis, root them on. Um, they're all just awesome people too. I've, I've been so fortunate to get to know all the different players and they've, I was, I didn't know how, uh, how they'd all be and how, how, um, but they've, they've been, they're amazing. They're all great, great people and great role models. So follow American women's tennis. That's the best yeah. way to follow what I'm doing. They've also <laughs> done a really good job about supporting each other, which is one of my proudest moments for yeah. those ladies. We're trying They're to, we're really backing. trying to, trying to make it a family and, yeah. uh, and try to make it as much of a team environment as possible. And naturally, you know, there are going to be times where they have to compete against each other and it is an individual sport. So we're also dealing with the nature of that, but you know, I really feel Kathy, Kathy's done an amazing job these last five years of really turning mm-hmm. around uh, the attitude behind our uh, women's tennis. And I'm, I'm trying to just continue that and make it feel like a team. And we really believe that there's a, we're stronger as a collective than we are as an individual. And when if we can if we can draw success from everybody's successes and mm-hmm. everyone can motivate and push each other, we really feel like it can uh that can push us all to be the best that we can be. So that's really important to us to, 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 so it's cool to hear that, that, that you see yeah. that support because that's yeah. really important to us to try to build that family and that team environment. So we're going to keep trying to do it. And the more fans that we can have on board, the better. So yeah. <laughs> uh, follow American tennis. Yeah, and it's great to see American Tennis is coming up some good players, so we're very excited. Super proud of you, Andy, and yeah. everyone out there. We always say it, but Andy will always be a part of our T-Dub family, no, so we definitely <laughs> we definitely only wish him the best and are excited to see you doing so well and working with some of the players that we get to work with. It just comes full circle all the time, so that's always fun. Kind of gives you those, like, boop, boop vibes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We've joked out because a lot of the players that I get to work with are kind of team T-Dub. And so 
It's like I get to be Team Tita coach a little bit, know. you know? So it's I been, told Christy that you're going to give her crap about her NFL put picks. Oh, God. I was on the phone with her when she was making her first round pick, and it was, uh, <laughs> I knew this was all going to be trouble. That group of girls in that league, is, you're going to, there's some entertainment too. If you yeah. want to follow, uh, all these girls, they started a fantasy football league this year between the 10 or 12 like, of them or something yeah. like that. And that's half already of them don't hilarious. know what they're doing. Half of them do. Yeah. They have all have great team names. though. It sounds like. <laughs> I think you've got what you've got. Bethany, Christy, Nicole, Coco, Jenny, um, Caroline. Who's all in this league? Oh, my gosh. There's such a cast of characters. They're all it's going to be hilarious to watch. You'll see it on their Instagram stories. They're all just giving each other crap back yeah. and forth. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty. I'm going to definitely be living, living vicariously. <laughs> so. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Andy. No, we will just wrap this up. If anyone does want to continue the conversation, we do want to hear if you think that a perfect 10 out of 10 is possible. <laughs> so feel free to email us at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review anywhere where you listen to your podcast. And if you've enjoyed this episode, let us know and leave a comment for us. And feel free to let your friends know too. Uh, we totally appreciate the word of mouth. And until next time, happy hitting.